Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. <laughs> uh, hey, if you're uh, just joining us, we're in this series in the book of Genesis where we're going through the life of Abraham. And um, what the New Testament tells us is that this story has been written down for our instruction. Um, that what we have in the life of Abram is really a case study for all of us in how to have a relationship with God today. Uh, and today we come to the part of the story where we're going to be learning about how to deal with doubt. Now, um, I don't know about your church experience, um, but I didn't hear a lot about doubt in church growing up. Um, it was kind of like Bruno. We just didn't really talk about it. Uh, which if you didn't get that reference, don't feel like you're missing out. Trust me, you're blessed. Uh, <laughs> some of you are now offended. Let me explain it if you haven't seen Encanto. Um, I think a lot of times in church we can treat doubt as um, maybe something that we're threatened by, that we see as a threat to our faith. It's kind of one of those things we would rather just not talk about. Uh, but what we're going to see in our text today is that doesn't have to be the case. Um, in fact, uh, if we can process our doubt honestly and in the right way, our doubt can be the path towards a deeper faith. Uh, let's look at it. We'll be in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Uh, we read this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, that's Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Um, here's what's going on. Uh, in the text here. Uh, some time has passed since the events that we looked at last week. Uh, most commentators place this chapter, this story, about five years after God's original call on Abram's life in Ur. And um, if you were here with us for the opening week, you remember that um, when God called Abram at first, um, it sounded crazy, but Abram didn't have any questions. He, he just went. Maybe he didn't have a lot going on in his life. We don't know. But he just went without questions. And, and now Abram's been walking with God for some time. Uh, he's been walking with by faith uh, for years now. Uh, and he's beginning to have some questions. He says, God, you said that you would make me the father of a great nation. And, and I've been waiting a long time. And I, I, I still have no kid. Like how many of you, if you were in your 80s and you were waiting to have a child for the first time, you would have some questions. He's like, how's this going to work? Are we both going to be in diapers at the same time? Like, I, I, you're going to have to help me out here, Lord. What I want you to see in all of this is if you walk with God long enough, you're going to have some questions. You're going to have some questions. Maybe you don't when you first become a Christian, um, but if you walk with God through enough life, you are going to have some questions. You will wrestle with doubt, just like our boy Abram. Um, and for some of you, that doubt might be a question of timing, like it is for Abram. Like, is this ever going to happen, Lord? 
Um, for others of you, maybe your doubt, it's, it's an intellectual thing where uh, maybe you go away to college, you start a new job, you go into a new sphere of life, and you hear some new things, and you go, is my faith even intellectually credible anymore? Um, or maybe there's some of you that your doubt, it comes from a traumatic experience, and you're like, God, if you're good, how could you let this thing happen? Man, some of us, we just look out at the state of the world, and like the prophet Habakkuk, we just say, really, God? The question is not if you will experience doubt. The question is what you will do when those days of doubt come. And there's really three ways to deal with your doubt. Uh, number one, you can ignore it. Um, like I said, it's so often common in the church today. You can just kind of stuff your questions um, because you think it's a threat to your faith to entertain those questions, um, which is ironic because if you stuff your question, that actually does great harm to your faith. Because as we say so often here, God meets us where we're really at. And if you stuff the real questions that you have about life and about God and you do not address those with the Lord, then what you will be doing is you will be dooming your faith to the shallow end of the pool. So ignoring it's not a great option, but tragically, this, in the best case, gives us a shallow faith. In the worst case, number one can often lead to number two, which is number two, you can walk away. Uh, TikTok is filled with deconversion stories right now about people whose doubts, they piled up, they didn't deal with them, they piled up, they didn't deal with their doubts, they piled up, and rather than dealing with their doubts, they eventually just said, what am I even clinging to anymore? This thing's so shallow, I don't even see the usefulness of it. And, and look, I know there's a lot of you that have people in your life that you love, that that's their story. Um, or maybe uh, they haven't fully walked away yet, but you can see they're moving away from the Word of God. They're moving away from the people of God. They are headed in this direction. And so let me just say this. I've seen a lot of people walk away. Um, I've also seen God bring a lot of people back from that place. And the common denominator tends to be when God is at work bringing someone back from that place of doubt after they've walked away or after they've begun the journey, the common denominator seems to be a community of Jesus followers who are willing to genuinely and honestly engage the questions that other people have, the questions that we have, without freaking out and going, I can't believe you're wondering about that where we can, like we're going to see God with Abram in this story, engage and love and be present throughout the process. And so maybe this is the ministry God is giving you for that person in your life that you love, that you're thinking about right now. Maybe like we said last week, you go after them, you ask them questions, you ask curious questions about their doubt. I, I think so many people have never had a Christian do that to want to engage, say, tell me more. What are you thinking there? What's coming to your mind? Why do you wonder about that? Without offering cheap answers, hearing them out, maybe that's the ministry that God will give to you. Look, I know that so oftentimes we think, ah, oh, we can't talk about that. I mean, I mean, they've already left. I can't bug them about that. It's over. But look right at me. It's not over. It's not over. I was thinking about it this week. I was like, what? I, 
I wonder if a lot of the people my age that were in this church that have walked away, like I wonder if they never had a safe space to ask their questions. What, what if we could give them that? What if we can be like God with Abram, imaging him, reflecting him through relationship, and in, in opening the door to say genuinely and lovingly, ask your questions. Let's talk about them together. What might God do with that? And look, if this is you right now, if you are one of those people that are kind of headed towards walking away and you decided to give church one last try today, um, what I hope you hear in all of this is we are so glad you're here. Um, we have built this place to be a safe, safe place where you can explore your questions. I'm not telling you that we have all of the answers, but what I'm telling you is fill out a connect card. Let us know you're here. Reach out. We'd love to get together and chat with you because we don't have all the answers, but we can pursue the one who does together. And that's option number three. We can bring our questions to God. This is what Abram does, and, and what the whole message is about today is learning from Abram how we can bring our doubts, our questions to God instead of stuffing them or instead of just walking away altogether. How can we bring our questions to God? Because what we see in this story, I'll just give you a tease up front, is that God is a loving Father who's not annoyed by our questions, but He loves to care for us there help us work through them. And even, he's so good, he can even bring us to a deeper, richer faith on the other side. Um, let's look at it. Uh, look what he says to Abram. He, he says to Abram, fear not, I am your shield. Um, quick question, who needs a shield? We all do. That's a good answer. Yeah, about people who get attacked, right? Some of you are like, Jesus, right? Because I said that's always a safe answer. Um, who needs a shield? I, don't overthink this one. People that get attacked, right? I, I, I had some friends point this out to me this week. If you live your life by faith, you will face opposition. So to whoever said we all do, you're right. If you would live your life by faith, then you will face opposition. I will face opposition. We will face opposition. If you step out in faith and trust that God can, that is the moment that Satan is threatened, the powers of darkness are threatened, and that is when you can expect attack will come. If you're not being attacked, it's because you're not a threat to the darkness. It's when we begin to step out in faith and trust God the darkness begins to tremble and go, oh my goodness, because on their own, that human wasn't very threatening to me. But if they're going to walk in a relationship of faith with God, this could get real bad for us real quick. If you live your life by faith, attack will come. And so don't be surprised. Like I was, I was kind of surprised by some things. I had some friends encourage me with this truth this week, that if you step out in faith, attack will come. But here is the good news. You have a shield that can withstand any attack. God says to Abram, fear not, for I am your shield. This is the first thing he does. He reminds Abram who he is. He says, remember, I'm the God who protected you through all that nonsense in Egypt. I'm the God who went before you and won the battle in Sodom last week. He says, fear not, I am your shield. Abram, I am for you. Remember who I am. And then he addresses Abram's question directly. In verse 4, he says, uh, yeah, we're still on plan A, Abram. I, I haven't moved on to something else. This isn't like a, a metaphorical thing that you're going to be the father of many nations. Like, 
legit your own son, your own flesh and blood will be your heir. This is still going to happen. And then God does something that's just been rocking my world this week. Um, He not only engages Abram's questions with words, the word of the Lord came to Abram, he said, your son will be your heir. He does engage him with words. But then, he takes him outside, and he says, look up at the stars. Try counting them. And so Abram's like, one, two, is that a satellite? No, I'm just kidding, they didn't have those, but three, four, 222 billion. Like, I don't know where, but at some point, he lost track. He couldn't keep up. And God's like, yeah, buddy, you won't be able to count your offspring either. It'll be just like that. And I love this. God gives Abram something tangible to wrap his heart and his mind around. Because here's the point. Words alone are not enough to, to comfort a doubting heart. Um, I realized how true that was this week. Um, Our youngest daughter has been having nightmares lately. And so what happens every night without fail is I will wake up to someone just poking. I'm a side sleeper. So I'm sleeping like this and I, let me think about this. Because you really need these details. I'm sleeping this way and I feel a poke in my back. And so I'll turn around and she's just standing there, which really freaked me out for a long time. But it's happened enough times that I'm used to it. I, like the second I feel the poke, I'm like, okay, Joe's had a scary dream. It's time to, time to be dad mode now. Um, and the, the other night, I was so exhausted. Like my body couldn't move. The spirit was willing. The flesh was weak. And so I told her, I said, it's okay, sweetie. You're safe now. Go back to bed. Which was totally true. But what happened was she walked away just kind of whimpering towards her bedroom. <laughs> And so I said, remind me to start a savings account for her counseling later. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. I got out of bed and I picked her up and I held her in my arms like I always do. I just failed to do that at night. I picked her up in my arms and I said, daddy's here. You're safe. And we prayed for Jesus to chase away the scary dreams. And that little girl melted into my arms. And that's what God does with Abram under these stars that he has made. Because what was happening with Joe is, my words were true, but words alone weren't enough to comfort her doubting heart. She needed dad to pick her up and reassure that she can trust dad's words. And that's what God is doing with Abram under the stars he's made. He says, look up, Abram. Which, I mean, just think about if you've ever looked up at the night sky, how, think about that feeling you get when you get away from the city and you can actually see the sky and you see the stars lighting up, the sense of awe that you feel in that moment. I I don't know where it happened, but somewhere out there in that field as he's staring up at the stars, it puts his life into perspective and Abram realized, he realizes that like, okay, I might be super old, That's the text, not me, by the way. But he might say, like, I might be too old by my measurements, but those stars used to not be there. And so as he gazes up at the stars, the word of God, that God can do the impossible, it becomes tangible to this man. 
And look at the effect it has on him. Verse 6. It says, and he, that's Abram, believed the Lord, and he, that's the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. See, before Abram's situation is even resolved, his heart trusts in the nature and character of God. He believes the Lord. Somewhere out there in the field, it clicked before his situation changed that I might be very old, but those stars used to very not be there until God spoke. And so he says, I don't know how you're going to do it. Maybe you'll call it into existence through the power of your word again. Maybe you'll do something else. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe that you will. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him is righteousness. And look, in one sense, this is nothing new for Abram. Abram has been trusting God when it made no sense from the day that God called him back in Ur. But I want you to see this. After he brings his doubts to God, it's after he comes and says, are we still on plan A or is something else going on here? God, you haven't come through. You haven't given me this child. It's after he comes to God with his doubts that his faith is actually growing. See, this sentence, verse 6, some of you have already picked up onto this. Uh, this sentence is the sentence that the authors of the New Testament will pick up and use to describe the heartbeat of the Christian life. Um, I'll show you that at the end of the message because it's beautiful. It's incredible. But the point is for now that he's growing. Abraham has been trusting God since he left Ur, but it's not until here, after he brings his doubts to God, that the authors of the New Testament pick up the story and they say that right there is the very definition of faith. That right there is the very definition of the deep life that God calls us to. By bringing his doubts to God, Abram is growing deeper in his faith to where people for centuries and millennia after would reflect on this moment and say, that's what we want. He's growing deeper in his faith, and you and I can too as we bring our doubts to God like Abram. And that's where I think we want the story to end. Uh, but it doesn't. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So um, we don't know how much time has passed between verse 6 and verse 7. But as we keep reading, you'll see this is a different day. Like the sun's gone up and come down again. And a new thing's going to happen as the sun goes down here. And so some amount of time has passed. We don't know how long. But what the author of Genesis has done is linked two stories of Abram doubt together in chapter 15, because here's the point. Doubt is not a one-time struggle in the life of faith. Like, you may experience doubt, and, and let's say God's really at work in your life right now. You bring that doubt to him today, and God ministers to you. He meets you just like Abram, and you come out the other side in a deeper, richer, more real faith, and you're like, this is awesome. You can absolutely expect that. Here's what you can also expect. Something else is going to happen in your life, or maybe something won't happen, and you begin to spiral again, and you're right back to this place with a new topic where you're like, well, God, what about this? 
At first it was, um, hey, what about the promised son? Now Abram's like, well, what about the promised land? I, I, I don't understand how this is going to work either. And what I want you to notice about this is that God doesn't say, oh, come on, Abram, we already talked about this. What's wrong with you? Don't you listen? I heard you out once, but that was enough for me. No, what God does is he lovingly pursues and engages this man again. He comes to him and he reminds him of who he is again. He says, remember, I'm the one who called you out of the land of Ur in the first place. Remember who I am. But then he gives him more. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and a partridge, and a pear tree. I'm kidding. Sorry, the rain's got me thinking holiday season here. Verse 10. I apologize, that's ridiculous. Verse 10, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kezites and the Camadoniites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gershazites and the Jebusites. We're, I'm warmed up in Genesis now. I'm ready for more names. Here's what's going on. Like I said, it reads a lot like the first encounter. God comes to him. He reminds him who he is. But then, like I said, God gives him more. Um, first of all, he gives him this word of prophecy where he tells Abram everything that would happen to his descendants in Egypt. How they would be enslaved for 400 years. Um, but how God would use that period to really grow them into a mighty nation and to when he rises up in judgment to protect his people, that they would be carried out with great possessions and they would come out of Egypt greater and mightier than they went in. Now, all this might sound really random to us. Like, what does this have to do with the story of Abram? But you have to remember the original audience of the book of Genesis is those freed slaves. Think about how they would have heard this. Moses wrote this book, yes, to them, and it's for all of us, but primarily the Holy Spirit called him to write to them that we could all learn from. It's those freed slaves just having come out of Egypt, and they're standing on the edge of the promised land, 
that that text is talking about. And they're looking at the Rephaim. They're seeing these giants and they're terrified. They, they're like, are you sure, Moses, that God said that land? Because there are some giants in the land. They had some questions. They had some doubts. And on the edge of the promised land, they heard this word of prophecy that God knew in advance that you'd be standing here. He knew that the Rephaim would freak you out, so he put it in the word to Abram. And man, there's a whole message in here about how looking at the way that God has known our future before it happened, and and looking at the way that specifically God not only tells us the future, but he's faithful to bring it about just as he said. There's a whole message in here about looking at the way that God has been faithful to his word in the past that is meant to warm our hearts to trust Then he will finish what he started. And on the edge of the promised land, the Israelites are like, okay, this looks crazy to us, but if he knew this in advance and he brought us this far, we believe he's going to help us finish what he started. But I got, there's a whole message in there, but I got to keep moving because that's not even the biggest thing in the text. God reminds Abram of who he is. He gives him this word of prophecy, and then God makes a covenant with Abram. Um, This is a significant moment in the life of Abram because what a covenant is, is it's the promise of relationship. Uh, where two parties make binding promises to work together towards a common goal. And so you can have a covenant between two people, like marriage. Uh, You can have a covenant between groups of people, where like two nations would partner together and say, we're going to have peace in the region by promising not to attack one another. Um, You can have, uh, or you could have like in a church where a group of people come together and make promises uh, to impact a region for Jesus. Um, And what we see in the Bible is you can also have covenants between God and humans. Uh, In fact, one of my professors was so fond of saying that covenants are like the backbone of the Bible. Uh, Because the, the whole story of the Bible is really about God coming to people and inviting them into relationship. And with each and every covenant, we learn more and more about the nature and character of God and his plans for the world. And so when you... When you read about God making a covenant in your Bible, this is a significant moment where we can learn a lot about God. Here's what we learn about God in this covenant he makes with Abram. Our relationship with God rides on his faithfulness, not our own. I want to say that again because this is the thing that we've got to take away from the Abraham covenant. Uh, Our relationship with God rides on his faithfulness, not our own. Uh, To see this, you got to look at the animals. I know some of you are like, I don't want to. That was gory. Okay, so let's just chat. Um, The way that we do covenants in our world today um, is like when 37 people come together um, and make a covenant to reach Diablo Valley for Jesus, uh, what do they do? They sign a piece of paper. Um, I actually have it hanging in my office. They, they write what they felt called to. They sign the covenant at the bottom. And it is a beautiful thing. Um, I, I love that. That's why it's hanging in my office, to, to remember the promises that were made there. Um, when two people get married, what do they do? Not that. What do they do? 
they exchange vows, which is the, the promise of relationship, and then they exchange rings as a symbol of that promise. Now, in the ancient world, they, did, they had signs of their covenants, too. They were just a little more, I don't know how you want to say it, creative. Um, when two people wanted to enter into a covenant in the ancient world, what they would do is they would get a bunch of animals together, and they would cut them in half, and they would split them on the ground. And it's gory. I, I get it, but that is the point. Because after splitting these animals on the ground, what the two covenant partners would do is they would walk between the dead halves of the carcasses. They would pronounce their vows to one another. And what they were saying by walking through all this blood and gore with that smell in the air is that if I fail to live up to this covenant, if I break relationship then may I become like these animals. May I be torn in two. May my blood spill to the ground. May I perish for being unfaithful to the vows that I'm making today. All of this is completely standard in the ancient world. The original audience, they would have read that about the animals and said, yes, yes, yes. We read that and we're like, somebody call PETA. Abram killed an animal. Original audience, they would have been like, yeah, of course, yes. I understand. Yes. What would have really freaked them out is when it was time for Abram and the Lord to walk through together, God puts Abram in a deep sleep. Same language as what he did with Adam in the garden. And just like he did in the garden, God does some of his best work. While Abram is laying there on a the ground, taking a deep, deep sleep, we see a fire pot or a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass through the carcasses. Now, if you've read the book of Exodus, how does God reveal his presence to his people? Through a cloud by day and fire at night. So what's passing through those carcasses there? This is where you get, Jesus, God is. <laughs> this is God moving through. This is the part that is meant to freak us out, where they're supposed to walk through together, and God's like, Abram, sit this one out, buddy. You take a nap, and God moves the car through the carcasses, and as he is moving through, he proclaims, this is what I'm going to do. This is the land I'm going to give to you. What he says is, Abram, this is how this relationship is going to work. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to be God. I'm going to accomplish the victory. And you're going to be there laying on the ground and saying, thank you, because that is how a relationship with God works. We're all like Abram, lying on the ground. And if that offends you, I promise you this truth is meant to free you up this morning. Now, now, this isn't saying that we do absolutely nothing as Christians. Some of you are like, I knew it. Christians are good for nothing. No, 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 no. That's not what this is saying. If, if you read this in the context of the story of Abram, we've seen it so far. We'll see it more. Abram's faith leads him to be a man of great action. Christians should do great things in the world. But this isn't talking about what you do with your life in general. This is simply talking about what do you and I contribute to a right relationship with God? What do we do that secures our relationship with God? What is our part to own 
and having a relationship with the creator of all things? And the answer to that is just as passive as Abram was on the ground, that's your part to contribute to salvation. When the first disciples of Jesus wanted to explain the heartbeat of the Christian life, they look back on this story. You can read about it in Romans chapter 4 this week. They look back at this story, specifically at verse 6. And what they said is, that's it. That's everything Jesus was talking about. That is the Christian life. That just as God declared Abraham righteous before he had his life figured out, simply on the basis of his trust in God's promise, so you and I are saved by faith alone totally apart from our works. So our relationship with God operates on faith alone, totally apart from anything that we could do. We are about as useful in the process of salvation as Abram is in this story. And the reason that I think the Bible makes such a big deal about this idea is because this in my experience, is the main doubt that we as the people of God will struggle with throughout our lives. We struggle to believe that he really loves us in spite of all the junk in our lives. It's why the room's so tense right now, because we can feel it, because we've all had this doubt, I'm rubbing up against it right now, that we tend to believe that, no, I'm not passive on the ground, I at least do like 10%. This is like Hitch, where he goes 90 and I come 10, like surely I contribute something. And I'll tell you this right now, it's why your walk with God is so schizophrenic where you have some weeks where you feel like you figured it out and it's going great. You come to church. You even lift your hands in worship because you're just feeling it this day. You drive home and you bless those who persecute you on the road on the way home. You are feeling it. But then something inevitably happens. That old you comes out and you get jammed up and you look at that and you go, I can't believe that I did this. I thought I had this figured out. And so we begin to drift from our walk with God because we're like, ah, oh, I'm not living up to what he thought I was. And so we can begin to drift from him. And, and hear me, it's when we drift from God that the darkness really gets bad. And the thing we need to take from this story is that God has never had the same delusions about you and me that we have about ourselves. He's always known the full extent of your brokenness. Like there are struggles in your future that might surprise you. They don't surprise him because this is the God that knew what would happen in Egypt 400 years before it happens. This is the God who knows the future. He knew what he was buying when he went to the cross. Like this, this isn't new information. It's new to you. And you and I, we can be deluded about the full extent of our brokenness. God isn't deluded. He has perfect knowledge about us. He knew before he called us all the ways that would struggle. He knew that in Genesis chapter 16, Abram's going to take two wives, which is still hurting the world today. We'll get there tomorrow but, or next week. But the point is, he knows our brokenness in advance. And in full view of that, this God not only went through in signs and wonders as a smoking pot and a flaming torch, but this God would eventually put on flesh and step down into the world that he has made to accomplish the righteousness, the right standing, the goodness and the justice and the beauty that we lack living out in our lives. 
And in his love for us, he went to the cross where his body was physically broken and his blood was spilled all over the ground and where he became the curse that we deserve because of our sins so that we who deserve curse could have a blessed relationship with God on the basis of his faithfulness, not our faithlessness. He, he knows us too well and he loves us too much to allow even 10% of our relationship with him to ride on our performance. And so this is why he goes through without Abram. This is why Christ goes to the cross. This is why Romans chapter 4 will celebrate this story and say, it's not just Abram who is justified on the basis of his faith alone. It's anyone who would trust in Jesus because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And this is the only way. If he would go through the fire for you and you would trust that that would be accredited to your account. And I've got to tell you this. These things aren't random. The story of doubt and the story of grace. It's all connected. I would tell you this. The grace of God in this story is why we trust him. Even when we have questions. Even before our situations are resolved. Like we don't trust God because we will be able to understand everything in this life. What arrogance to think that we could perfectly understand everything that the eternal God understands. There are always going to be mysteries as long as we are in this life. We see through a di mere dimly. You remember that from 1 Corinthians? So we don't trust him because we can understand it all. And we dang sure don't trust him because we can name it and claim it and make all of our problems go away when we use the magical spell potion of saying the name of Jesus. We trust him because in the cross of Christ, we see that we have a God who suffers and pleads with us and who died to secure a relationship with us. So he as a loving father can say, for all your doubts and questions and concerns, come to me. I'm not going to be angry with you. I love you. I am for you. And if you would come to me with these things, I promise I will lead you deeper into life. So the cross of Christ is why we trust him. The gospel is why we trust him. And this doesn't do away with all of our questions, but it gives us, it compels us to come to him in those questions. It's enough to say, I don't have it all figured out, but I know that you're for me, so I'm at least going to press in and see what you have for me here. And so we're going to give you some time to do that in just a moment. And, and look, just as we said earlier in the message, words alone are not enough. Like I'm fully aware of that while preaching today, that one of my sermon points are words alone aren't enough. And then here I am, yap, 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 here, here is the words. Um, part of that is because words are necessary. So we don't want to just say, hey, we're all going to go look at the stars and stop reading our Bible. That's a super bad idea. We, we need to hear the gospel word, but we can't be content with only the gospel word because Jesus himself knew that words alone were not enough. And that is why on the night he is betrayed, he takes bread and he breaks it. And after proclaiming his undying love for these men that are about to go fail them, he says, here's what I want you to do. When you gather, I want you to take bread and break it and remember that my body was broken for you. And after supper, he takes the cup and he says, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. This is the the final covenant. It's all been building towards this, that when my blood pours to the ground, anyone can have a relationship with God. Through faith in me, I will open up a new way where you can have a relationship with God that doesn't ride on your performance to the law, but is received as a gift by grace. You can be filled with my spirit to be my agents of renewal in the world. He says, this is the moment. And so don't just take the bread, but take the cup. Take these together and remember me. Because he understood the gospel word is not enough to reassure the doubting hearts of his people. We need gospel sacraments. We need a holistic gospel that is spoken with words and felt through the very means that Jesus gave us. And I want to be real clear. This isn't something we conjure up at the table. Jesus says elsewhere that it's when you gather together as the church and take these elements, my spirit will be there among you And he will do the work. And so we're going to end this message like we always do. By giving you some time to get honest with God right where you're at. To to begin praying and responding and talking to him about whatever doubt and whatever struggle you have in your life. And then once you've done that, we invite you, if you've trusted in Jesus, to come forward to the table and taste and see that he is for you. That his heart towards you is kind. That he's not allowing these things uh, to pour out his judgment on you. But you can be assured through the cross that he bled because he's crazy about you. I know for some of you that idea when I speak it with words sounds so far from possible for where you're at right now. But I just want to encourage you this morning, even if it sounds crazy. If you would say, I trust Jesus, I just don't understand, I would invite you to come forward to the table. Be honest with him about your doubt. Be honest where you are at. And as you take the bread and dip it in the cup, hear me, this can be your look up at the stars moment. Where words that are, seem too good to be true or, or, or too massive, maybe for someone other than you, where those words can become tangible to your soul as the Holy Spirit bends heaven down to earth and reassures our heart as he has promised to do at the table. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to give you some time to do that. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you love us so much that you leave nothing to chance, that you leave nothing to our performance, but that you have made a way for us to have a right relationship with you in spite of the struggles of our life this past week. And so um, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit um, to fill each and every one of us in this moment. Would you um, make words, uh, make real the gospel word I've been preaching this morning? Would you set it on fire? Would you set it ablaze in our hearts? Would you help us to believe and trust that you're good and you're for us like you did in Abram? Would you help us to get honest with you about wherever we're at? 
so that you can speak the gospel where we need it most. And, and, and as we come forward to take from the table, God, we are trusting that as you said, you would be present with us in this table. And so God, I, I ask that you would do what my words cannot in this moment. And that is as we take of the bread and the cup, would you give us the Abram look up at the stars moment where we could walk out of here going, wow, for all of my questions and all my doubts, I, I still have questions, but this I know, he is for me. And so I'm going to keep trusting and keep walking and keep pressing in. Would you keep us moving this morning? Would you lift our hearts to the gospel in this time? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.